My name is Rudy Kelly, and I am an herb original. I am chief. My dad was a great chief of the Simshan Nation, beloved by his people. But at home, with his family, he brought anger and pain. He told me that to succeed, I would have to leave everything behind. Now I'm on a journey to find out who and what my dad really was. The Herb Original is an all-new CBC podcast. Available now. This is a CBC podcast. In an epic battle over three centuries ago, a British warship sank a Spanish galleon, carrying billions of dollars worth of gold, silver, and jewels taken from the Americas. Since then, the San Jose has remained at the bottom of the sea, off the coast of Colombia. It has been called the Holy Grail of shipwrecks and has captured the imaginations of treasure hunters around the world. Now, the Colombian government has announced plans to excavate the site 600 meters below the surface. Julian Sancton is a journalist and author. He's written extensively about the San Jose. He's working on a book about this story. Julian, good morning. Good morning, Matt. How are you? It is an incredible story. I'm glad to talk to you about it. Um, Tell us about the San Jose. What was it? The San Jose was the last or one of the last of the great Spanish galleons. Uh, Galleons were combinations of warships and cargo ships that were heavily armed to protect the the fleets, the treasure fleets uh, that were going between Europe and the Americas to bring back the riches taken from the mines in Bolivia and Peru and Mexico and elsewhere and bring them back to the old world. Um, And there had the golden age of galleons had been from the 16th to the 17th century. And by the early 18th century, we were really seeing the last of these ships as maritime technology was changing. So it was a very significant ship in history. And it had been about 12 years uh, when, by the time the San Jose sailed since there had been a great shipment of treasures. So we're thinking that there were 12 years of accumulated treasure. And so the British had the same idea and were very intent on capturing this since they were at war with the Spanish. There's a mythology that surrounds this. You write in this amazing piece for Vanity Fair about the fact that Gabriel Garcia Marquez, the great novelist, uh, references this book in his, his, or the ship in his book, Love in the Time of Cholera. He does. It seems like a magic magic realist uh, invention. This this idea that there are a billion dollars worth of gold just sitting there at the bottom of the sea. And so in Marquez's... uh, fantastic novel, uh, the main character imagines diving down there and taking all the gold so that he could shower his beloved in gold. There's, as you can imagine, with uh, that much treasure on this ship, a race to find the coordinates of it. Tell us about that race and what was the er- the early parts of, of, of the struggle to try to figure out where the ship had actually landed. Sure. Uh, it, the golden age of treasure hunting in America, which was a primarily American enterprise, was really from the 60s onwards when there were a series of just very colorful treasure hunters that were finding uh, these treasures lying in the ground unclaimed, on, on the seabed unclaimed. And in the late 70s, several investors who were uh, American investors primarily who were involved in the find of, of uh, great galleons decided to go after the greatest of all galleons, the Holy Grail of shipwrecks. Uh, there's not one treasure hunter who hadn't imagined doing it, but the ones who did it uh, were a group called Glockamora, financed by uh, some, uh, among others, um, Michael Landon of Little House on the Prairie, um, and uh, John Ehrlichman, a former right-hand man of Nixon and architect of Watergate. 
and uh, the some investment bankers who funded a group of top experts in the field to go after the San Jose. So the, this search happened in two phases in 1980. The first phase was finding uh, uh, was towing a magnetometer and a, a sound scan sonar on the seabed and finding targets. And the second phase was investigating these targets with a submarine called the Auguste Picard, uh, a Swiss made of all things mm -hmm. submarine that was extremely capable and was manned by, um, among others, a, a few Canadians, including the uh, director of the search, Helmut Lanziner, who won the Order of Canada for his development of, um, of uh, maritime location uh, systems. And um, they identified a target that they then reported to the Colombian government that uh, was about the size of a ship that uh, and and around this uh, target were some wood piles that uh, they took a sample of and they claim and this is important they claim was carbon dated about 300 years and, of, and was of a type consistent with the building of spanish ships there would be reason to doubt that claim later on now the after having reported this Glockamora, which then changed its uh, its structure to be under the, the, the company name of Sea Search Armada, um, after reporting this and expecting a 50% uh, um, cut of whatever treasure was found mm. per, uh, per, per custom at the time, found that the Spanish government... Uh, was uh, had reduced its claim retroactively to 5%. Now, it's important to say that they they specified that at the coordinates they reported, there was nothing there, that there was an error built in. They just didn't know how big the error was. Now, later in 1994, uh, about a, a decade and a half later, the Colombian government wanted to investigate these claims. So they sent another expedition by a treasure hunter named uh, Tommy Thompson under the, the the name was the Columbus Exploration and found that at those uh, coordinates, indeed, there was nothing there. Hmm. And not only that, but the the uh, sample, the wood sample, was, <clears throat> according to they claim, um, bore traces of the atomic tests of the 1950s. And so it was clearly above ground at that point and could not have been from a Spanish shipwreck. And it was uh, some kind of route. So there were very serious uh, reasons to doubt the claim. But nevertheless, uh, Sea Search Armada felt that their claim had been that they had been expropriated and uh, took their case up to the Supreme Court of Colombia, which said that indeed, they were entitled to 50% of the treasure that was found at that location and the immediate vicinity. Who knows how wide that immediate vicinity is. Now, fast forward to 2015 yeah. and a new team uh, called Maritime Archaeology Consultants, uh, uh, funded by, by British investors, largely, um, and and uh, using technology from Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute, which famously found the Titanic, uh, located what is undoubtedly the wreck of the San Jose in uh, much deeper water, 600 meters. And it was just a sublime find. Later photos from a, from a, in a very extensive survey found that there were uh, visible artifacts across what, what actually looks like the outline of a ship. There is uh, porcelain from China. There's uh, uh, olive jars. And, and most spectacularly, you can see bits of silver and gold on the very surface of the sea. Tell us about the character who's at the center of this, this Roger Dooley man. Who is he? Roger Dooley is a uh, archaeologist, a maritime archaeologist, who was born in Newark, New Jersey, and grew up uh, largely in Brooklyn. But at the age of uh, 13, 12 or 13, um, his Cuban mother and his Cuban stepfather moved uh, to Havana, where 
the uh, stepfather became the uh, night manager of the Havana Hilton. And this is at the time of the uh, casinos and showgirls era of Havana. Before the revolution. Right, before the revolution, which you might remember from Godfather 2. But very shortly after they arrived, the revolution happens and and Castro's milicianos take over the Havana Hilton, among other hotels, and it became the headquarters of Castro. So he grew up uh, almost like a zelig of the, uh, Roger Dooley, a zelig of the Cuban revolution. He was... um, involved in in fight as as a young militia member in the bay of pigs he was on an airstrip uh during the uh, cuban missile crisis and fearing that he would be the first casualty of a third world war um and eventually develops an interest in maritime archaeology and uh essentially becomes a, a pioneer of the field in cuba and uh discovered and, and charted many shipwrecks around the around the island of cuba it's important to mention that Cuba was a very central uh, point for the, the the treasure route to the treasure fleets of Spain, and so there were there were many uh, wrecks to be found there. And he discovered one of a very important galleon called the Mercedes. Um, and uh, years later, um, would uh, he, he was involved. He was uh, years. It was obsessed with the San Jose. Yeah. And years later, uh, would would find a way to convince uh, President Santos to give him uh, permission to search those waters and and gathered a team uh, that would discover the the San Jose. He said he had a secret map, an antique map that nobody else had seen that had the location of the ship. Is that right? It didn't exactly have the location. It was a map from the 1720s, which which, uh, uh, one of the geographical features was called Bajos del Almiranta. Uh, Almirante, which means the shoals of the admiral, mm. and he believed this this little uh, this little shoal that's name appears in no other map, and he be- it means he believes that it was a uh, related to the battle. The admiral in question would be Admiral Charles Wager, who led the English fleet that mm. uh, led to the sinking of the San Jose. So um, it it's unclear uh, exactly. Uh, how he described this to, to Santos, but he felt that this map was uh, gave him a very good indication of, of where the treasure was. Do we have any sense as to how much of this treasure, the billions of dollars that could that could have been on the ship, how much of it is still there at the bottom of the sea three hundred years later? Oh, all of it. There's there's uh, no chance that uh, that it was taken. I mean, there's so that, I guess, but that, 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 because this is a concern, some people might have believed that this could be it could have been plundered by by pirates people who who managed to find it on their own and and spirited away with some of those well 600 meters is a very 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 deep mm-hmm. uh, a, a scuba diver could not uh, reach there perhaps a saturation diver but there's no way to run that kind of operation without being visible um, with the the Colombian Navy patrols it 24 7 that area and uh, there there ha- some people have suggested that it, it has been uh, reached and that the site has been interfered with, but there's no uh, there's no clear evidence for that. Uh, so I believe that all of the treasure is there. The question is how much is there, and that we don't know because the the extent to which there was any manifest only uh, described what the king was owed, which was a small fraction of what we believe was on that ship, which was full of contraband and and people trying to sneak gold back to the old world however they could. Who actually owns? the rights to the ship? Because again, there's this fight between the Colombian government says, we're going to get the ship up, that we know where it is and that we're going to, to, to deal with this site. But as you mentioned, this company that initially thought that they'd found the ship now thinks that they still have some rights over it. So who, who actually owns the wreck? Well, that's, a, that's a, the essential question. Um, the, the Spanish government, as soon as the 
claim was announced by Santos in 2015, uh, began uh, began claiming the ship because under under the UNESCO Convention for Underwater Cultural Heritage, the principle of sovereign immunity uh, is upheld. And sovereign immunity says that uh, a warship, no matter how long it's been since it's sunk, uh, and no matter whether it's on, on the sea or not, remains the property of the of the state that dispatched it. Uh, however, Colombia is not a signatory, nor should I uh, I should mention is the United States, mm. and. Um, the and Colombia found the ship in its waters, and so uh, the there is uh, a very strong claim for Colombia to own it. But the you know, tribes from uh, areas that uh, where, where the, the the precious metals were mined, including the the Caracara people of Bolivia, have claimed that they're owed reparations at, at the very least because this is uh, this has been plundered. This is in some plundered, yeah. absolutely, and then. Uh, then you have uh, Sea Search Armada, which claims that uh, th- because there was a ruling that said that they were entitled to 50% of whatever treasure was found at those coordinates in the immediate vicinity, claims that the treasure is theirs. However, uh, the, 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 what, the target that they found is several nautical miles away from the object that uh, maritime archaeology consultants and Roger Dooley found. And there's very strong evidence uh, to say that these are uh, c- completely different objects. Uh, they will claim, Sir Cesar Tormato will claim that what they found was evidence of the debris field of the Battle of, uh, of Cartagena. Uh, but but again, that uh, that is a, you know, a disputed claim. We're just about out of time. Let me ask you in the last minute or so that we have two very quick questions. One is, is there an argument to just leave it there? Just leave it on on the floor of the ocean where where it was found? Yes, and that is the argument that is advanced by uh, archaeologists who believe in the principles of the Convention of Underwater Heritage to leave things in situ until they can be uh, until they can be properly excavated. But the sea is a very corrosive element, and leaving things at the bottom of the sea is just waiting for them to corrode slowly. And so there is also a very strong argument for excavating these. Uh, objects. Aside from the incredible cast of characters, including Michael Landon of Little Apps on the yeah. Prairie, what is yeah. what what is most fascinating to you about this story? I, I think it's the uh, the attraction of this. It, it's it's like asking George Mallory, "Why do you want to climb Everest?" And it's because it's there. Yeah. And what makes me wonder, I, I wonder why people go after these treasures. It's not for the money, because uh, not that not that. Uh, uh, Maritime archaeology consultants are treasure hunters. In fact, there is uh, there is a rule in Colombia that says now you can't take any of this treasure out of Colombia. So it's not for the money. It's it's because of a natural human urge to uncover what's hidden, uh, and it's it's something that you know gold itself. It makes you wonder what is the value of gold. Um, it's because we've all agreed that it has a lot of value because mm-hmm. it shines and it seems to come from the sun and it seems to be a part of it. And it's just we it's almost a religious belief. So I'm, I'm fascinated by that mystery. It is quite a story. You tell it so well in that piece and just on the radio now. Julian, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Julian Sankton is an author and journalist based in New York City. He wrote about the San Jose in Vanity Fair magazine. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of the Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at the Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts.
Ricardo Borrero is a nautical archaeologist in Colombia. He has been watching this debate over the San Jose's fate. He is in Bogota. Ricardo, hello to you. Hello, how are you? I'm well. What is, from your perspective, what is so important about this shipwreck in particular? Uh, I guess all the attention has 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 been directed towards the treasure, uh, which I guess is mistaken. I would argue the most important thing uh, we should consider is that it, its value come comes from the fact it's uh, the cultural heritage of the first globalization. So it carried goods from Asia, it carried goods from Africa, it probably carried, it carried goods from America and from Europe. So it testified for this first history of globalization, as well as the fact uh, that, as they were explaining, uh, it lies uh, straight in the transition from galleons to ships of the line, mm. which were like the types of ships designed specifically for war. But this was a multi-purpose vessel uh, having like um, war commitments as well as as as, as cargo capacity. You, but there, there, there could be twenty billion dollars, or maybe even more, of of of, of gold and, and other precious metals on the ship. But you say it's mistaken to focus on that. Yeah, I I think it's is definitely mistaken uh, beyond uh, the valuable goods that could be sold in the market. There's plenty of information, of historical information that could be recovered. For example, regarding naval architecture, regarding daily life on board and many other uh, aspects of, of, of naval history. What do you think should happen with the ship? I mean, the, the, the Colombian government has, has said that its plan is to excavate that site. What should happen? I would argue it should stay where it is. Um, in, in as, as an opposite opinion to what they just said, um, it has been proved uh, in several locations by conservation by conservators and archaeologists that if it has survived for 300 years in the conditions it has survived until today, probably where it lies is the mo- the best place uh, where it can stay. Uh, on the other hand, uh, if you take it out, it requires a very long and expensive conservation treatments. How would you do that? How would you take that ship out f- from where it is now without it being destroyed without without th- all of the integrity of that ship being lost. That's probably not even possible with the with the current state of technology. And just very few excavation at such depths have been conducted. The is the case of the Ormen Lang in Norway, which was a partial excavation, as well as the case of the Mardi Gras shipwreck in the uh, Gulf of Mexico in Texan waters. And it was as well a partial excavation, but all this excavation responded to the fact that these uh, shipwrecks were being treated by 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 infrastructure, uh, by, by buildings they were going to make. In one case, there was a pipe that they were going to that was passing through mm. the area where the shipwreck was lying, or in the case of the Ormen Lang in Norway, um, it was lying on top of. Uh, one of the gas, uh, gas, what's the word? Gas mines. Like a, yeah, yeah, a, a well or something like that. Yeah, gas wells in one of the biggest gas wells in Norway, but they were just partially excavated because um, 
it's required to use just remote operated vehicles as human beings cannot um, cannot cannot with scuba diving and in regular conditions cannot just um, dive to such a depth. So I sincerely doubt uh, ROVs uh, have the capacity um, to conduct such an excavation in a proper way. Do you worry that if people know where it is, and I know it's very far beneath the surface, but that somebody will figure out a way to get there, to get some of that treasure that's on it, that it could be looted if it, if it remains in its, in its place? That's definitely not a concern if the Colombian Navy takes proper care and uses its its radars, its sonars, and all its machines to protect the wreck. Uh, that shouldn't be a major concern. Uh, it lies at such a depth that it's very difficult to conduct an operation with minor infrastructure, so you would require uh, quite a lot of, of visible things uh, that could be easily detected uh, by a war vessel of the Colombian Navy. Presumably because it's been down there so long, a whole ecosystem must have developed around it, right? Definitely. That's pretty common. Uh, shipwrecks tend to be colonized um, at first by by algas, and by then all the trophic chain develops, uh, coming fishes and, and, and the corals start to settle on the structures and so far. Just before I let you go, um, what does this ship mean to Colombians outside of the treasure that's on it? When you take a look at at the history of the ship, what does it mean to Colombians? Well, I guess that's another point that has kind of misplaced the attention and is the fact of who owns it or for whom does it it represent uh, a particular thing. Uh, because it's not just the Colombian history, it's a shared history and, and thus international cooperation should prevail in its study. Uh, as I was explaining, it testifies for the story of the first globalization of the world mm. as it was carrying God's goods and goods and people and ideas from all around the world. Are you confident that that your perspective, UNESCO agrees with you on this, that your perspective will in it win out, or do you think that the Colombian government will move forward because of everything that we've talked about, including what's on the ship, it will move forward with a way to try to get it out? Well, it would be... Uh, uh, we, as archaeologists, have not been very successful at making the Colombian government to listen to us. And uh, as they were explaining, Colombia is not a signatory of the UNESCO Convention. Uh, so we don't know what's going to happen. But it, uh, if they decide to take a total excavation of the wreck, uh, that would be an ill-advised decision. Um, even just considering the costs, uh, if you check the case of the Mardi Gras, costed the intervention a dollar per second, which mm. is more than $80,000 per day of intervention. With such an amount, you could start advancing in the underwater archaeological chart uh, in general of the Colombian waters to detect many more shipwrecks. Mm. We will wait and see what happens with this wreck. Ricardo, thank you for talking to us. You're welcome. Stay safe. And you, Ricardo Barrero, is a nautical archaeologist. He was in Bogota. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.